You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Amen. Amen. If you need healing in your body, why don't you stand? Come on, stand quick if you're able. (laughs) All right. If you're near them, just reach a hand towards them. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, right now we thank you that you are in this room. And Lord, where you are, your kingdom manifests, Lord, and you are the healer. So Lord, we ask right now for healing. And to every person, Lord, every person standing, Lord, we ask, God, that you would touch them. Lord, we ask for complete and total healing. We thank you for your blood, Lord. We plead the blood of Jesus over every body. And we ask for total and complete healing. We command pain to go right now in Jesus' name. We command sickness and disease and chronic conditions to go right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, O God, for your peace to come over every body in Jesus' name. Every spirit spirit of infirmity has to go right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you feel something in your body, you feel God touch you, you feel something shifted, changed, gotten better, wave at me. Come on, yeah? Come on, anybody else? Yeah? Test it out. Okay? Thank you, Lord. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for healing. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you've began a work in bodies and you're going to continue it. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know if Joe is here, but my friend Joe, I prayed for him a couple weeks ago. He had a, was in a car accident. Joe, if you're here, wave at me. And he got, his back was in a lot of pain. And God, we prayed. He didn't feel anything in the moment. And then God healed him. And we, he came back to church last week and he told me his back was completely healed. So I know God's going to continue to work in your guys' bodies. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's do this. Let's all stand one more time. We're, we're an active church, up and down. We're expressive. Let's pray together as we jump into the word this morning. Lord, we put our eyes on you. God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would do what only you can do, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see you. Lord, I ask every person that's here today, your grace to be upon them, to encounter you, to experience you in your word, Lord. Lord, I ask, God, that you would come and that you would continue the work that you've already begun this morning in hearts and lives and bodies. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are not only the healer of our bodies and our souls, Lord, but you're going to heal our nation. And, Lord, we ask that you would come and you would heal Kenosha, Wisconsin, Lord, with Jacob Blake, God. We ask that you would heal his body. You would touch his family. God, that you bring peace to their family and to, and to his children, Lord. God, that you bring healing to their minds and their hearts. 
Lord, that you would bring healing to our nation, Lord, that we would no longer be a nation divided, Lord, but we would be a nation united under you. God, we come before you and ask for your mercy. We come before you and we ask for your grace. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the solution, you are the answer, you are the remedy. Lord, your gospel and your presence, Lord, are enough to see a nation and the world transformed. So we thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We've been on a series the last couple weeks called Feeding the Fire. We started two weeks ago. We talked about the fire of God being a hunger, a passion, a desperation inside of you for more of him. That God wants to come and, and stoke that fire. Maybe it's gone out. Maybe it's grown cold. Maybe it's about to go out. Maybe your hunger and passion for the Lord has began to wane, has begun to slow down or stop completely, and that God is inviting us to go deeper into him, and he's calling us to himself, and he's asking us if we will be willing to give of our lives to him so that he can set us on fire for himself. And he comes as the great baptizer. John the Baptist said, one will come after me who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And Jesus is that great baptizer to come and baptize us in himself and into his fire, a passion and a hunger for him. And we said, I said a couple weeks ago that feeding the fire starts with and continues with seeing Jesus for who he is. If you encounter him and you see him for who he is, a fire will stir in you, a hunger will stir in you for more of him because you'll have gotten a taste of him and you will desire more. God invites us usually in, in measures, in moments. He gives us a taste and says, will you come more? Will you come deeper? And Pastor Aaron preached last week about the fire of God and us being ones that will surrender our lives, in a sense, place ourselves on that altar to burn for him. That fire in the natural begins to stop burning when there is nothing left to consume. And if we are not coming before the Lord daily in a place of worship, in a place of surrender and saying, God, come and have your way in me, then the fire will begin to grow cold and go dim. And so he's inviting us daily to come before him in that place of true worship. True worship is the daily surrender of your life to God. It's not songs. It's not music. It's surrender to him. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to continue where I left off with you a couple weeks ago. And in this series of Feeding the Fire, we're going to start in verse 7. In verse 7, it says, Look, or behold, Jesus, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Say amen. amen. Are you awake? Are you alive this morning? I mean, I know the presence of God in worship was powerful. We're on our faces, on our knees before him. But I preach better with an awake church. All right. Praise the Lord. Verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9. John the Apostle your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that 
are ours in Jesus. He was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sound was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Come on. This is our Jesus. Do you notice the language in this passage? There's a couple moments in verse 7 and then verse 18 where it says, look, and then verse 18, now look, or behold, now look, behold. And you also notice uh, with the, the, multiple times in the descriptions of his vision of Jesus where he says, like, it was like this, it was like that. Why? Because John is doing his absolute best, even with partnership with the Holy Spirit, to describe the indescribable one. That language and words and phrases and metaphors and prophetic imagery still pale and fail to fully describe our King Jesus. He is matchless in beauty and awe and wonder. He is all that we need and more. Only he will satisfy you. And I want to talk today with you about feeding the fire by looking to him, by beholding him, by pursuing to see him. We did it already this morning in this time of worship where we were on our knees and we're waiting in the presence of the Lord and we were worshiping him and we're praying unto him and we're seeking him and we're giving him our worship and our adoration. That is one example, one moment of beholding the Lord. To behold the Lord is to adore him. It is to give him your attention. It is to give him your heart, your focus, that everything in your life is pursuing him to know him more. That, would, that is what it means to behold him. In our Christian world, in Christianity, we, we talk in, in a language that is its own in many ways. We have our own like dialect. We have our own language. It's called Christianese. And it's got lots of different words and terms. Just like if you listen to a sporting event, the announcers are going to use terms and definitions and phrases that if you don't know the sport, you will be lost and you will not understand what is being said. If you go to different job fields, if you go to different businesses and industries, whether it's the real estate market, the loan industry, the construction industry, you go into different fields of, of finance and money and they have their own language. And if you aren't familiar, you are lost. Well, 
in the church, we, we have kind of our own language at times. We say some funny things in church. And if you're new to, to church, you're new to God, you didn't grow up knowing God, or you didn't know, haven't known Jesus for very long, you can easily uh, be lost. And so our hope, our desire is to be simple, to have a simplicity, not only in, in our focus and in our life and how we do things in, in our church, to focus on Jesus and to pursue him with all that we have, but also to try to explain what we say. Because, you know, we say things like fellowship. And if you didn't grow up in church, you have no idea what that means. That simply means a hangout. Just, hey, we're going to have a good time together. We're going to fellowship. But only in church do we ever say that thing. Or we say things like, I'm going to have my quiet time. I'm going to be in the secret place. And, you know, but people, if they don't know what you're talking about, they're going to be like, what's going on? Why is it a secret? This is kind of weird. But really what we're talking about is spending time daily alone with God in prayer or in worship or in reading the word. You know, we say things even like, you know, my, you know Tim Hawkins, the great Christian comedian, he's like, hedge of protection. Well, I'm going to pray a hedge of protection around them as if the devil is afraid of shrubbery. He is deathly afraid of vegetation. Don't come near me with that, those shrubs. I'm scared to death. You know, we say things in church like, we need to pray for the church plant. We need to give to the church plant. We need to help the church plant grow. And if you're not from church, you're going, where's the church plant? I, I don't see the plant in the building. Where, where, where is this thing? Is it like a, one of those money trees, like at a wedding, you put money on it? Is that how we give to the church plant? Is that church plant legal? Is that why they're all weird? They've been smoking the church plant. What is going on? No, that means we're starting a new church in a different area location. That's what that means. It's a, it's a new church. I don't know why we say what we say in church. You know, traveling mercies be upon you. What we mean is have a safe trip. Have a good time. You know, we say things when someone comes and asks us to serve or help in an area of the church. Well, that's not my spiritual gift. Translation, find someone else. Or we say things like, you know, God led me to do something else. Translation, I wanted to sleep in and I didn't go to church. You know, or we say things like, that's got glory on it. That's got glory on it. What the heck does that mean? Simply, we feel the presence of God on that person or on that moment or on that thing. We say things like, the essential Christian message is not to behave, it is to behold. We say things like, behold the Lamb of God. We say things like, we need to look at the face of Jesus. What you behold, you become. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're lost. And again, I believe that the fire in your life, the, the hunger for the Lord will continue to grow in you. Your passion for him will flourish and grow as you behold him. And what I mean is that you look for him. You are expecting him. You are pursuing him. You are desiring to know him more. You are putting your focus and your attention on him all throughout your day, not just one day a week for a couple hours when you go to church. And I believe that a lot of Christians know a lot of information, and they are good at certain disciplines, but they are not actually in love with Jesus. They are thankful for what he's done. They are thankful for his blessings. They want more of what he can offer and do for them, but they aren't actually in love with him. 
Because I'm telling you, if you get one glance, one gaze of him, one glimpse of who he is and how he looks, you will fall in love and you will want nothing else but him. And you will want him for him and not what he can give you or do for you. We say things in, the, in, in church about the presence of God. That we want his presence. We need to seek his face. In scripture, the terms face and presence are synonyms. They mean the same thing. That we want the face of God, the presence of God. Think about it. If I'm in the room, I am not somewhere and my face is somewhere else. Praise God. That means my head is still attached. At this point, that is okay. I mean, if it gets to that point and I'm in heaven, I'm okay, I'm okay with that. But usually, a body and a head are in the same place. When we say, Jesus, we want your presence, you cannot separate his presence from his person, from who he is. He is his presence and his presence is his person. And we say around here that we value the person of God by prioritizing his presence. And so this is why we worship the way that we do. This is why we express ourselves to the Lord the way that we do. This is why we will worship long. This is why we will worship passionately. This is why we will preach passionately. This is why we will go out and tell people about Jesus and go to Portland and go to the riots and, and, and love our neighbor and love our families the way that we do because we love who he is. Because of who he is. See, Jesus is not best explained. He is best revealed. And I will do my best to explain what I have to say, but I will still fail to fully reveal the indescribable one of Jesus. He is best revealed, and the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals him to you. And he, you are meant to encounter and experience God. You are meant to experience him in all of your senses. You, you might have felt him this morning already here during our worship time. You might have felt like a, a, a goosebump coolness of a breeze almost that blew over you. You might have felt the heat of the presence of God. The actual fire of his presence might have come upon you. You might have felt a lightness. You might feel a heaviness of the weightiness of the glory of God will come upon you. You might have all of those at once. You might only have one of those ever, but you are meant to experience him. You are meant to see him, hear him, taste of him, smell him. He is tangible and he is meant to be experienced tangibly. And if we just have an intellectual gospel, an intellectual pursuit of God, we are not experiencing all that Jesus paid for, all that Jesus offers us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, says this. The God of this age, notice lowercase g, small g. This is the devil. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We were all in this at one time, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, the gospel reveals the glory of God, who is Christ. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know who God is and how he is? Look at Jesus. Behold Jesus. The Father said about Jesus, this is my son. Look at him. Listen to him. The Son is the exact representation of the Father. This is who he is. Verse 5, for what we preach is not ourselves. Praise God. I, if I ever start preaching me and myself and what I am, 
I need to find something else to do. Okay? Someone else who's going to preach Jesus needs to be here. We are going to preach Jesus and him alone. It's always going to be about him. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Let there be light. Genesis 1. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The face of Christ is the glory of God. The glory of God is the face of Christ. Jesus is glory. And I want just to look at how the word reveals Jesus to us. Though our English language isn't enough, though that as best as I could communicate what's written here, it won't be enough. I believe that the Lord purposefully revealed himself in these scriptures in Revelation 1 for a reason, just to give us a taste, give us a glimpse of his majesty, his splendor, his beauty, his power, to draw us deeper to know him for ourselves. That we don't just read about John encountering Jesus, but we desire that for ourselves. So I want to go through these different descriptions of Jesus' appearance. There's 10 of them here in this passage. I'm going to go through them quickly. If you're taking notes, I pray for mercy for your hand. For number one, one like the Son of Man. One like the Son of Man. This parallels and points to Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 10 that talks about Daniel having an encounter with one like the Son of Man. And it begins to talk about in that book of Daniel in those chapters about him being king and ruling and reigning. So the Son of Man points to Jesus as king, that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the king of the kingdom of God. And he desires to come and rule and reign in our hearts. And Son of Man points to Jesus' heart of humility to come as a man to die on the cross for all of humanity. And Jesus would refer to himself as the Son of Man. This is a powerful moment. And that, this is why it clearly points us to Jesus in this moment with John because he says, I saw one like the Son of Man. Number two, he's dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. This points to Jesus as our great high priest, just like the high priest in the Old Testament would wear a robe that went from his neck to his, now down to his feet. So Jesus is wearing a robe just like the great high priest. He is our great high priest who went before us into heaven and he makes intercession for us. He tells the devil to shut up and he lets the father know that, no, they have received my, what I paid for. They have received my redemption. They have received my salvation. They are innocent before you. They are innocent because they've received my blood and what I paid for. And he is that great high priest that is revealed as the one walking among the seven lampstands, trimming the wick of the lampstands, just as the priests would do in the Old Testament to make sure that the fire never went out, to make sure that the light never went out. You see, Jesus wants to help you keep the fire burning. He wants to be there with you for you to experience his presence and the light of him so that that hotness, that fire never stops. And he's there to trim the wick in your life so that your fire never goes out. Will you let him? Will you partner with him? Will you let him do that in your life? Number three, with a golden sash around his chest, it points to him as the judge. James 5, 9 says, he stands at the door as judge. The judge is standing at 
the door. One day we will all have to give an account for our whole lives, for everything that we have done with what he has given us and entrusted us with, how we have stewarded what he has done for us and what he has given us. We will all have to give an account, and that should be sobering. That should cause us to go, oh my goodness, I better get my act together. That actually should do that in your life. Why? Because he is wanting us to live on mission. He is wanting us to live for him every day for what he has called us to. And first and foremost, he has called you to know him, to fall in love with him, to love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you are in that place, you don't have to fear him as judge, but you can remember that he is your savior, he is your redeemer, He is your friend, and he loves you with all that he has, and that you have an opportunity to see other people encounter who he is. Come on. We still awake? All right, number four. His hair is white like wool, whiter than snow. This also points to the book of Daniel in chapter 7, that he is the ancient of days. That white hair represents wisdom or knowledge that he knows all. Colossians chapter 2 says, in Jesus are the treasures of all wisdom and all knowledge. He is wisdom. He is knowledge. He is the ancient of days. He is the beginning and the end of all things. He knows it all. He, nothing can hide from him. Come on. Number five. This is my personal favorite, and I'm sure many of yours, we like to sing about this one, but this one is pretty intense. Number five. His eyes are like blazing fire. I don't have the exact reference for you, but I believe it's in the book of Matthew where it says the eyes are the lamp of the body. What is inside your soul, what is in your heart, is revealed through your eyes. If, if it's what is inside of you is darkness, it will come through. It will shine, and how great would that darkness be? But if your light, or excuse me, if your life is full of light, that light will shine through. If that is true, and Jesus' eyes are like a blazing fire, that is because he has a fire inside of him. The all-consuming fire, Jesus, is burning on, on, on a hot blaze for you. He is jealous for you. His name is jealous, and his love is a jealous love for you. And his eyes see all. Nothing can be hidden from his sight. He sees everything in your life, everything that you're going through, everything that you need help with, every need, every moment. He sees it all. And his eyes are a blazing fire of, of a jealous love for you, for you to know him and for you to experience, experience his love. In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, it says, For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty fire. He is our bridegroom with eyes of fire, wanting his bride to fall in love with him and to love nothing else but him first. Number six, his feet were like burnished bronze. It speaks of testing, that bronze in the scripture would go through testing, go through the fire to be tested, to be of use. He went through testing. He was tested and tried and found worthy, worthy to be the Lamb of God slain for all of humanity, that he would be the one that would be tested in every way, but yet be without sin. He would be the one that would go to the cross and suffer all that needed to be suffered in order for humanity to know God. This is what it shows us. It also shows us him as our priest again, walking among the presence of God and the tabernacle of God barefoot because as the priest would be barefoot because they are on holy ground. Just as Moses encountered God in the burning bush, take off your sandals for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Number seven, his voice like the sound of rushing waters. 
Have you ever been around a river? It's raging, it's going fast, it's moving hard. It could seem dangerous, it could seem reckless. Scott talked about the River Jordan in Joshua chapter 3 this morning. And God wants us to jump into that river. His voice is like the sound of rushing waters. But I don't know about you, but I go near a river that's raging, and I actually feel like it's refreshing. It, like, actually soothes you. It actually calms you. It refreshes you. If you turn on the, the sound of a rushing river, it might either cause you to go to the bathroom, or it will refresh you one way or the other. I had to make sure you're awake. His voice is meant to be the only voice and the voice of all voices that stills you, that calms you, that removes all worry and fear and anxiety of what's going on in your world or in your life, that his voice is that peace to come and and breathe, breathe a refreshing over you. And his voice, that river, is also meant to bring life as a river would bring life. And that is who he is. That's his voice. Number eight, his right hand holds the seven stars. There's nothing super significant or mysterious here in verses 19 and 20. It says that the stars are the angels, the messengers sent to go to the churches. And Jesus is powerful enough. He's mighty enough. And also the right hand represents authority. He has the authority to send angels wherever he would choose. He is big enough and mighty enough to hold angels in his hand. That's your God. That's your Jesus. Number nine, a sharp, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. This points to the word of God, the Bible. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4, 12, that the word of God is a sharp, double-edged sword that divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that it penetrates and it divides our attitudes and the motives of our heart. That this is his word. God's heart and his nature and his ways are revealed to us in his scripture. Jesus is the word of God. He is the living word, and he invites us to know him in the word. We don't read the Bible for information. We read it for encounter, to experience the one that the Bible points to. All of scripture points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. It is all for us to encounter him in, and it comes out of his mouth. His voice comes from his face from his mouth. If you seek his face, you desire to know him, you will hear his voice. If you hear his voice, you are really close to his face. Number 10, his face shining like the sun. His face shining like the sun, bright, brilliant in all of its strength. If you were to look at the natural sun, S-U-N, for a a longer period of time, or look for a moment, look away, look, keep going back and forth. Eventually, you are going to be blind, and you are going to be blind to everything else except the sun. You will see like a big circle of the sun as you close your eyes or as you open your eyes. I don't recommend doing it. Please don't. You'll, you'll damage yourself. Just think that that is Jesus' face. And I believe that as we look and behold him, as we look to him and put our eyes on him, fix our attention to him, that we become blind to everything else because our eyes are fixed on him. In verse 17, John has this moment where he turns, he hears a voice like a trumpet and he turns and he sees Jesus. And 
I just described 10 different things, but they all happened in a moment, like that fast for John. He sees them all. He understands it all in a moment, and he, will re- he remembers it all. And I don't think he stood there going, okay, son of man, white robe, golden sash, hair white like wool, eyes of fire. I think he saw Jesus and hit the deck. Fell like a dead man. And Jesus came to him, and he put his right hand on him. And he said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive. Forever and ever. And look, I hold the keys of death and hell. No one can defeat me. Why are you afraid? This is the same John. Nick pointed this out first service. This is the same John that was, he called himself the one that the Lord loves. It was the same John that rested his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. And yet he saw Jesus in a new and a different way than he had ever seen him before. And he fell on his face. Jesus is inviting us into a place to experience him maybe in a new and a fresh way, a way that we haven't experienced before. John was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he saw Jesus, his face shining like the sun, his, his robe as white as snow. And it probably brought him back to that, rem- that remembrance, that moment where he saw Jesus on that mountain and he realized who he was. And he responded the same way that he did at Matthew 17 on top of that mountain where he fell on his face. And what did the father say? This is my son. Listen to him. You see, before John saw anything else that was to come from the, in the book of Revelation, before he saw what the tribulation was going to be like, what the, the Antichrist was going to be like, what the beast was going to be like, what the mark of the beast was going to be like, he saw Jesus. Before he was going to see all the issues and all the churches that he was going to write to, he saw Jesus. We need to see Jesus first and foremost before we see anything else. Because if we don't, we will become fearful or we will become critical. And many of us are fearful in how we live our lives and how we operate things because we're constantly looking around at everything else going on around us and we're not looking at Jesus. And many of us are critical about different things and decisions that people make and things that churches do or things that are going on in the body of Christ or in our world and we're critical and we're negative and we're pessimistic and and we have a religious spirit and we judge. If we just looked on Jesus and looked at him, I don't think we would even care or think about what's going on. We'd be so captivated. We'd be so consumed with him. See, when you see Jesus, he brings you low. John hit his face at his feet. It brings you to where we need to be is at the feet of Jesus to minister before him. It keeps you humble. God is looking for those who will humble themselves before him, who will live in humility. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's looking for hungry, humble ones, that the poor in spirit, those that hunger and thirst after him. When you also, when you see Jesus for who he is, there is an awe, there is a reverence, there is an honor, there is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God, but it is to be in a place of I am afraid of being away from him. I don't want to live a life of sin or compromise in any area of my life that will cause him to not trust me with all of him. 
I want to live my life pure. See, when, in 1 John chapter 3, I don't have time to go on all these verses, but it says when we see him for who he is, we will live like him. We will be pure like him. We will live in righteousness like him. When you see him for who he is, the fear of the Lord will grip your heart and you will want to honor him in everything that you do because you see him. I want to read just a portion, a quote out of a book by an amazing old saint uh, named Joy Dawson who wrote a book called Intimate Friendship with God Through Understanding the Fear of the Lord. Says, she says this, when we see him as he is, in all his blazing glory, majestic splendor, and awesome holiness, that revelation becomes the greatest motivation to obey him instantly, joyfully, and wholly. It becomes a pers- um, the second service almost at the end. It becomes a preposterous thought to not obey him. God wants to bring us to the place where what he tells us to do is not nearly as important as who he is and who gives the order. When we put the emphasis on the what and not the who, we have things in the wrong perspective. When we see him in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty, we will want to do what he asks us to do. Not because of a reward, not because of the what that we might be excited about, but because of who he is. You see, Jesus reveals to John, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. What is he saying here? What does this mean? This is going back to Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6, where he says this to the nation of Israel. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let, the, let him proclaim it. Go ahead and try. Who is like me? No one and nothing compares to him. Psalms 35, verse 9. My soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, who is like the Lord? I'm telling you, there is nothing like Jesus. Only he will satisfy. Many of you here, here today, you're searching for something. You're looking for an antidote, a solution. You're looking for something to cure pains and hurts in your heart. You're looking for something to satisfy you. You have this emptiness, this longing in you. Nothing will do it. Nothing will fix it. Nothing will help you like Jesus. Humble yourself, fall at his feet, come before him and give him your whole life. Let you be that sacrifice of worship before him that he can light on fire and consume for him. Will you all stand with me? I feel that that invitation, I feel the Lord is inviting us to be a people of his presence. It might be uncomfortable, awkward, unique, different, different than what we're used to, different than how we grew up. But it's cleared this morning, it's cleared today. 
He's inviting us into that river to go deeper, to see him. I'm telling you, you might not understand everything. In fact, you're not supposed to. He's inviting you into a place that is beyond understanding, that is faith. You think that the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant understood what they were supposed to do when they began to walk towards the Jordan River? They just were told, walk into the river, and they just did it. And all of a sudden, the water went back. You're not going to understand, but I'm telling you, you get a glimpse. You gaze upon him. You see him, and you will want him. You will obey him. You will follow after him. You will behold him. You will spend time alone with him. You will put your focus and your attention on him. You will ask others to disciple you and mentor you and hold you accountable in your life to help you continue to pursue him with all that you have. You will walk in humility. You will walk in the fear of the Lord. You will walk in a place of hunger for more. I'm telling you, there's so much more. There is so much more. I read about Moses and his experience with God, and I go, wow, that was Moses in the Old Testament, a murderer, a guy with a bad temper, and he experienced more in God in 40 days than many will ever experience in their entire lifetime. I want that. If Moses had that, then there's more for us because we're in a new and better covenant. And we sell ourselves short because we don't want to go and pay the price. Just begin in your, own, in your own heart, with your own words. Just begin to worship him. Just begin to praise him. Begin to lift your own song to him. It might be weird. It might be awkward. It might be uncomfortable. He's inviting you into the uncomfortable. Just begin to worship him. Begin to behold him. Begin to look to him. He's inviting you into a lifestyle of adoration, a lifestyle of, of abiding, a lifestyle of adoration before him, to worship him, to behold him. Jesus, we look to you. We fix our eyes on you, Lord. There's no one like you, God. Nothing compares to you, Lord. God, you're all we want. You're all we desire. Lord, we're expecting you. God, we're looking for you. God, we're searching for you. God, we're seeking your face. Jesus, we seek your face. Lord, we want to see you. We welcome you in this place. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Come on, just continue. A couple more moments. Just lift your own voice. We love you, Jesus. Let this house be a place that you can stay, Lord. Let this house be a house that you can trust with yourself, that you can trust with your presence. Lord, all we want is you, Lord. All we want is you, Jesus. Come on, there's no band. There's no worship song. Lift your own song. Lift your own worship to him. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We cry out for more of you, Lord. We desire you, Jesus, above all else. Let your grace be upon us to see you. Lord, let hunger stir in every heart to know you more, to spend time alone with you, to seek you, Lord, to spend time in the secret place, oh God. Grace us to see you, Lord. Let every person encounter you, God, in a transformative way that we would never be the same. God, that you can trust us to see cities changed. God, to see a region changed with your gospel, with your presence, Lord. That we'd be unashamed.
That we wouldn't look for formulas. We wouldn't look for strategies. We wouldn't look for the next idea. God, we look for you. You're it, God. Your presence is enough. Your presence is what draws. Your presence is what people want. Your presence is enough, Jesus. We just want you, Lord.